0: Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part through the generous support of Aaron Ferguson Electric and Automation at aaronv.com. A-A-R-O-N-V dot Making connections for life for your automation and smart home needs in North and Central Florida. You're listening to episode 186 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, Jimmy will be answering more of your weird questions. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Merry Christmas, Jimmy.
1: Merry Christmas, Dom, and to all the listeners as well.
0: Yes, Merry Christmas, everybody. As it is a Christmas Eve, we're taking a little break to drink some eggnog, spend time with the family, and go to Midnight Mass. So we're bringing you another episode of Weird Questions with Jimmy and Cy Kellett of Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy, what weird questions will you be answering this time?
1: We're going to be talking about things like celebrating Christmas on other planets, when the Christmas season ends, which is a bigger mystery than you might think, Uh, how we got from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus, whether the 12 days of Christmas is written in a secret code, whether Santa could be a Time Lord. I think I saw that Christmas special of Dr. <laughs> Who and more.
0: Excellent. Those are such good questions and mysteries. So let's listen to your answers.
2: All right, Jimmy, you ready to go to questions? Yeah, sure. All right. Nancy Joe asked this. Uh, if Mary didn't suffer any labor uh, and, and birth pain, how exactly did Jesus get out of the womb?
1: Well, it's not. Uh, it, it, there's a difference of opinion among Orthodox Catholics about whether Mary suffered um, uh, labor pains, because after all, in Genesis three, when, uh, you know, the serpent has deceived Adam and Eve and they received their respective curses, God doesn't say I will create labor pains for the first time. He says to the woman, I will multiply your labor pains. Oh, yeah. And so that right. that could could indicate that even an unfallen woman would have some labor pains. Also, labor pains are not something that happens just at the moment of birth. They happen leading up to birth because what, you know, causes them is the contractions that prepare for a normal uh a normal birth through the birth canal, um, and and although the church teaches that Mary was always a virgin before, during, and after her uh, bearing of Jesus, there have been theologians who have said, "Well, maybe that does, maybe that's compatible with the idea of Mary having a, a normal birth." On the other hand, we have startlingly early traditions. That Mary did not have a normal birth. I mean, really, really early. Oh. Um, in today's show, we're going to talk about a couple of documents, one of which dates to the second century that indicates that Mary did not have a normal birth. But I thought to start us out with, I'd quote from a document that actually dates to the first century. Oh. This book is actually older than some of the books of the New Testament, a a few of them in any event. It's a document called The Ascension of Isaiah, and the book of Hebrews alludes to this book. It doesn't quote from it, but it alludes to it, and it uh, was written. I did an extensive study of, of the dating of the Ascension of Isaiah a couple of years ago. And I concluded that based on the internal and external evidence, it looks like the Ascension of Isaiah was written in the year AD 67, wow. after the after the martyrdom of Peter, but before the suicide of Nero. Those are the two events that I can use to bracket very precisely when this document was written, because it it clearly reflects the martyrdom of Peter But it talks about Nero as if he's still alive, and it predicts things that actually didn't happen to Nero. And so that you can say, okay, so it's written before they knew what Nero's final fate would be. And in this uh, book, in chapter eleven, we have an account that deals with Jesus's birth. And so, uh, I by, by the way, by my estimate, this is written maybe four years after the Gospel of Matthew. And if you're familiar, with the Gospel of Matthew, some of this will sound familiar. But here's what the author of the Ascension of Isaiah says in chapter 11 of that book. And I, this is Isaiah, the prophet who's seeing all this in a vision, and I indeed saw a woman of the family of David the prophet named Mary and Virgin. And she was a spouse to a man named Joseph, a carpenter. And he also was of the seed and family of the righteous David of Bethlehem, Judah. And he, David, came into his lot. And when she was espoused, she was found with child. And Joseph the carpenter was desirous to put her away or divorce her. That's something that Matthew mentions. But the angel of the spirit appeared in this world. And after that, Joseph did not put her away, but kept Mary and did not reveal this matter to anyone. And Matthew also mentions that an angel appeared to Joseph and told him, this is of the Holy Spirit, so don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And he did not approach Mary, but kept her as a holy virgin, though with child. And he did not live with her for two months. And after two months of days, while Joseph was in his house and Mary, his wife, but both alone, it came to pass that when they were alone, that Mary straightway looked with her eyes and saw a small babe, and she was astonished. And after she had been astonished, her womb was found as formerly before she had conceived. So the baby's not in her womb anymore. Her, her belly is like before she had conceived. And when her husband Joseph said unto her, what has astonished thee? His eyes were opened, and he saw the infant, and praised God, because into his portion God had come. And a voice said to them, "Tell this vision to no one." Now, vision in this case does not mean an unreal sight; it means don't tell anybody what you just saw. Okay. And and the story regarding the infant was noised abroad in Bethlehem. Some said the Virgin Mary hath borne a child before she was married two months. And many said, she has not borne a child, nor has a midwife gone up to her, nor have we heard the cries of labor pains. And they were all blinded, respecting him, meaning Jesus, and they all knew regarding him, though they knew not whence he was. So according to this account, uh, Mary and Joseph were at home. And all of a sudden, the baby is not in Mary's womb anymore. And both Mary and Joseph see it and people get various ideas about Jesus. Some recognize that Mary has had the child because he's there. But others are going, well, how does that work? Because we didn't hear any cries of labor and we didn't see a midwife go up. And so here in A.D. 67, maybe four years after the Gospel of Matthew was written, we have an account of Jesus having a miraculous birth. So these miraculous birth traditions go back startlingly early in church history.
2: So just to be clear, this wouldn't be... Trustworthy in the way that scripture is trustworthy, but it points to a tradition that existed that Mary had not yes. given I see what you're saying okay right this is not this is not divinely inspired,
1: but it does show the traditions about Jesus' birth that were floating around in the mid first century
2: uh well uh <laughs> so this is uh this is not a late of you know it's not an invention of the medieval uh theologians or something this is a long long popular tradition of the church, yeah. Uh Nancy Joe thanks for getting us started. I, this one comes from Joe. What constitutes a Christmas movie? AKA is Die Hard a Christmas movie?
1: So St Thomas Aquinas likes to distinguish between different possible uses of terms and I think okay. we can do that here. The, you could use the term Christmas movie in at least 3 different Broad senses that I can think of. The first one would be a movie that depicts the actual events of Christmas. So, and I'm going to, by the way, include Christmas TV shows here too, because the same thing happens on TV as in the movies. But, um, you could think of this category, which actually depicts the original Christmas as a biblical Christmas movie. So this is a Christmas movie in the fullest sense because it depicts the original Christmas. Examples of this would include the Nativity Story, which was a theatrical movie, or something like the Rankin-Bass Christmas special on television, The Little Drummer Boy because both of those involve the actual original Christmas. Second to that, a little more removed, you could have movies where the celebration of Christmas plays a large part in the story. It's not simply the backdrop to the story, but actually it's heavily involved in the story. Examples would include the movie, A Christmas Story, you know, the famous one where the little boy wants to get the Red Ryder BB gun. Um, also, oh, yeah. the Christmas the Christmas special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, another Rankin Bass animated special, uh, or the Charlie Brown animated special, or the movie Santa Claus Conquers the Martians with Pia Zadora. Um, so those would be kind of second order Christmas movies group. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christmas plays a large part in the story of all of those. Then there are movies where Christmas is involved in the movie, but not the main plot. These movies often occur at Christmas time. They've got some Christmas elements in them, but it's not really what's driving the story. And so these would be third order Christmas movies. And this is where Die Hard would go. The movie that Joe asked about Die Hard is an action adventure movie that just Happens to take place at Christmas. Uh, the main character is like trying to get home for Christmas, but other than that, it doesn't play a big part in in the action and what's driving the plot. Um, another uh, television show that would fall into this category would be the Doctor Who uh, Christmas Special, The Return of Doctor Mysterio, which is actually a superhero story, but it just happens to occur at Christmas time.
2: All right, Joe, I'm really glad you asked that question. I got to ask my own follow-up, uh Jimmy, in, in the in the world of Star Trek, the second most important world perhaps after the real world. Um is there is there ever a Christmas movie? I mean a Christmas episode? I don't believe there is. No, but there is
1: an episode that refers to Thanksgiving in Star Trek. The original series, the episode Charlie X, Captain Kirk is overheard giving directions to have the ships cook, make sure that the turkey uh, servings are ready for Thanksgiving.
2: Uh, There was and this goes in the favor of those people who prefer Star Wars to Star Trek. There was a Star Wars Christmas uh, special, which is
1: famous, perhaps in technically it wasn't a Christmas special
2: is a holiday special and it was actually oh. released at
1: Thanksgiving um and it involves the celebration of the Wookiee holiday known as Life Day
2: <laughs> okay very good which is probably is a good little uh, if you're going to if you're going to secularize it for a science fiction movie that's a good substitute life day well uh, it did occur a long time ago in a galaxy far far oh, away so i forgot that right um thank you for allowing me that uh momentary uh Jaunt into the world of Star Trek and Star Wars. Penelope has a question for you, Jimmy. When does... I'm so glad Penelope asked this question. When does Christmas end? I, I shouldn't read it in an exasperated voice, uh, Penelope. I apologize. When does Christmas end? The 26th? New Year's? After the octave? Twelfth night? The epiphany? The presentation?
1: In the answer is more complicated than you might think. I mean, we often hear about the 12 days of Christmas and people assume that it's 12 days long. Actually not, not uh, not the way, not in the Latin Rite, not today, not the way the general norms for the liturgical year and the calendar are written. That's the document that governs how, when seasons occur and how long they happen for. So according to Section 33, of the general norms of the liturgical year in the calendar, the Christmas season runs from evening prayer one of Christmas until the Sunday after Epiphany or the Sunday after January 6th, inclusive of that Sunday. So you got to figure out which comes later. Is it the Sunday after Epiphany or the Sunday after January 6th? And that means you need to look at when Epiphany occurs. So we go down To section 37 of the general norms, and it says Epiphany is celebrated on January 6th unless, where it is not observed as a holy day of obligation, it has been assigned to the Sunday occurring between January 2nd and January 8th. And that's the case in the United States. In the United States, we don't have epiphany as a separate holy day of obligation that can occur on any day of the week. Instead, in the Latin rite in the United States, epiphany is assigned to the Sunday between January 2nd and 8th. So, um, and by the way, the Sunday falling after January 6th is the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. Now, in 2021, so this is when, when it's coming up, Uh, The Sunday that falls between the 2nd and the 8th is on January 3rd, which is before January 6th. And that means that in 2021, January 6th, since it falls later, is the triggering date for the end of Christmas. And as we heard, Christmas will end the Sunday after January 6th which is the baptism of the Lord. And that's going to be January 10th. So this year, the Christmas season will end on January 10th. It'll vary from year to year in the United States. But this coming year, it's going to end on January 10th, giving us a total of 17 days of Christmas.
2: Paula asks this, Jimmy. Is there any record anywhere of the midwives, if any, who attended Mary? So um, in the document
1: we heard from before the ascension of Isaiah from the mid-first century, there, it was mentioned that there were no midwives. Nobody heard any midwives go up to her. There's another account in a document that comes from the mid-second century. So this is about 100 years later. It's a document called, sometimes it's called the Proto-Evangelium of James. It's also called the Infancy Gospel of James. And if you read chapters 18 and 19, of uh, the the infancy gospel, we find this. And he, this is Joseph. uh, Joseph and Mary are on their way to Bethlehem. And he found a cave there and led her into it. And leaving his two sons beside her, because according to this account, Joseph was an elderly widower that already had sons by his previous wife who had died. Uh, And leaving his two sons beside her, he went out to seek a midwife in the district of Bethlehem. And now we shift into Joseph's voice. And I, Joseph, was walking and was not walking. And I looked up into the sky and saw the sky astonished. And I looked up to the pole of the heavens and saw it standing and the birds of the air keeping still. So everything is frozen. And I looked down upon the earth and I saw a trough flying and work people reclining and their hands were in the trough, and those that were eating did not eat, and those that were raising did not carry it up, and those that were conveying anything to their mouths did not convey it. But the faces the faces of all were looking upward, and I saw the sheep walking and the sheep stood still, and the shepherd raised his hand to strike them, and his hand remained up. And I saw the current of the river, and I saw the mouths of the kids resting upon the water and not drinking. And all things in a moment were driven from their course. So Joseph's out looking for a midwife, and it's like the whole world suddenly freezes to commemorate the birth of Christ. And... I saw a woman coming down from the hill country, and she said to me, O man, whither art thou going? And I said, I am seeking an Hebrew midwife. And she said, and she answered and said unto me, art thou of Israel? And I said to her, yes. And she said, and who is it that is bringing forth in the cave? And I said, a woman betrothed to me. And she said to me, is it not thy wife? And I said to her, It is Mary that was reared in the temple of the Lord, and I obtained her by lot as my wife, yet she is not my wife, but has conceived of the Holy Spirit. This was to preserve Mary as a consecrated virgin. And the midwife said said to him, Is this true? And Joseph said to her, Come and see. And the midwife went away with him, and they stood in the place of the cave, and behold, a luminous cloud overshadowed the cave. And the midwife said, "'My soul has been magnified this day because mine mine eyes have seen strange things, because salvation has been brought forth in Israel. And immediately the cloud disappeared out of the cave, and a great light shone in the cave so that the eyes could not bear it. And in a little, that light gradually decreased until the infant appeared.' And went to look and went and took the breast of his mother, Mary. And the midwife cried out and said, this is a great day to me because I have seen this strange sight. And the midwife went forth out of the cave and Salome met her. And she said to her, Salome, Salome, I've seen strange. I've seen a strange sight to relate to thee. A virgin has brought forth a thing that her nature admits not of. So according to this account from the mid-2nd century, Joseph went out and he found a midwife and tried to bring her back to the cave, Um, and, and Jesus emerged miraculously from Mary's womb apparently with a great light, and she didn't need a midwife, although Joseph sought one out. And so that could suggest that maybe Mary had some preliminary birth pains, triggering Joseph to go get the midwife, but then there was this miraculous delivery. And, you know, this document being second century and being non biblical, it's not inspired, it's not fully reliable, but it can contain some traditions that could be genuine.
2: Wow. And so, uh, and we started off with a, a similar question. So, this was the other document you we were referring to at the beginning of the show that we would get around to. Yeah. Am I, yeah. So um, it's it's amazing. It's the description is like um, almost like a twilight zone where the world just freezes. I can't remember the, mm-hmm. the episode, but the world freezes and there's a but a person is still moving through it. Is is that the impression that you got reading that that? Oh, the yeah. Earth had just yeah. Frozen? It,
1: it, it seems like everything
2: just stops for a second to commemorate the birth of the son of God. Wow. And then um, so I I admit, so then a light is shining. So the baby is already born. Is that the idea that by the time or did I miss it here?
1: No, one could read it. One could read it different ways. The precise timing is not made clear, but we do have these two miraculous phenomena, the time
2: stop and the great light. It's just so much fun to hear those uh, ancient words of popular uh, Christian piety. Uh, it's, it's not the Bible, but it's our brothers and sisters who wrote those things, and it's beautiful to hear it.
0: We'd like to take a moment here to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Sean L., Susan R., Trevor W., Rosemarie S., and John H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part by Catechism Class, a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the catechism of the Catholic Church by Greg and Jennifer Willits. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory. Jimmy Jason writes this, If other planets were
2: colonized and we had to create a whole new calendar, how would we adjust Christmas?
1: Well, as long as we're confined to the solar system, I don't think we would create a new calendar. Uh, The solar system is only like, I mean, it depends on how you define it. But like Pluto is only like six, six light hours away. And so as long as we're here in the solar system, I think any any planets or moons or space stations we colonize are going to continue to use the Gregorian calendar. Now, what that would mean, because we're all in such tight communication with each other right now, what that would mean in terms of Christmas is we'd celebrate it on December 25th universal Earth time, but it would happen at different places in the orbits of the other planets. So, for example, Mars, Mars has a year that's 187 Earth days long and so you would that's not quite 2 years it's a little it's almost 2 years but not quite and so every time december 25th comes around people on mars would celebrate christmas and they may be doing this you know in less than 10 years because elon musk wants to have humans on mars in less than 10 years so um on december 25th they would celebrate it regardless of where they are in the martian orbit and what that would mean is that On most years on Mars, you'd actually have two Christmases per Martian year. But sometimes you'd only have one Christmas per Martian year. Jupiter on the other hand, the next planet out from Mars has an orbit of like 12 years, 12 Earth years, and so you'd have 12 Christmases per Jovian year. And it would it gets further the more you go out. On the other hand, if you go the other direction, you go towards the sun, the orbits of the planets, the, the length of their orbits is shorter. So Mercury orbits, you know, every two, three months. And so you would have the opposite effect. You would have a Christmas only every few Mercury years. You wouldn't have a Christmas every Mercury year. Now, what happens if we go even further out than the solar system and we, we colonize distant locations that aren't in regular communication with Earth, then um, it might it might vary. Um, but it's, it would vary, you know, you might have Christmases calibrated to the local year, so they're not celebrating at the same time Earth is, but I think that's rather improbable. I think, uh, if we have the technology to get to these other places, then we're gonna have the ability to keep track of time, well enough that we'll know when Christmas is on Earth. And since Jesus was born on Earth, there's going to be a strong tendency to want to celebrate his birth in conjunction with its celebration on Earth, regardless of what the the local year is like. And precedent would be set for that by our colonies here in the solar system. So if we start colonizing Alpha Centauri or Betelgeuse or places like that even further away, um the precedent will already have been set of planets other than Earth celebrating Christmas in time with Earth.
2: Well, first of all, thank you for saying Beetlejuice only once. Um, but uh, OK, so um, I, the thing I have to say underlying Jason's question is the confidence that Christians will be heading out. Uh, because, well, maybe he just feels that Christmas is kind of a social thing uh, now. But I, I share uh, Jason's uh, confidence that Christians will be among those who go Wherever humans go. Oh, yeah. And missionaries and pastoral care for the settlers and all kinds of stuff. Right. Uh, Jason, uh, thanks for the question. Esther's next. Um, Esther asks this, Jimmy How did the character of Santa Claus evolve? And what is his historical connection, if any, to St. Nicholas?
1: Okay. So the original St. Nicholas is a figure that we don't really know a huge amount about. His traditional dates are from 270. AD, or I should say AD 270 to AD 343. So he apparently lived in the latter half of the first century, uh, the latter half of the third century, and the first half of the fourth century. Um, We don't know a lot about him. He would have lived through the Decian persecution, which was the final major persecution of the church, and then he would have been alive when. The uh, when Christianity was legalized by the Edict of Toleration that the Emperor Constantine issued, and he would have been alive at the time of the first Council of Nicaea that defined the divinity of Christ in AD 325. Uh, he apparently was Bishop in Myra, which is in Turkey today. It's a, a on the southern coast of Turkey. It's a, a maritime port. And there are various legends about him. It is reported, fairly early that he attended the Council of Nicaea, which could be plausible because it was held in in Turkey. That's where Nicaea is. um, It's it's near Constantinople. Um, So he could easily have attended. On the other hand, the acts we have from the First Council of Nicaea don't mention him. So it's not certain. A legend is that he slapped the heretic Arius at the council but that's a legend. We don't really know that that happened. It, also, another legend is that he was very generous and provided dowries in a kind of secretive manner for uh, three young women whose father had like become impoverished and couldn't provide them with dowries. So St. Nicholas like secretly provided these dowries so they could get married. And that secret gift-giving later became, even though that's also a legend, we don't know that that really happened. But that legend then developed into the Santa Claus comes to your house and secretly gives gifts at night on Christmas legend. And it happened in stages. Uh, He as the Christian faith spread through Europe. St. Nicholas was remembered in various ways in various languages around Europe in the Netherlands or Holland, he was remembered as Sinterklaas. And you can hear how Sinterklaas sounds like St. Nicholas. Well, Sinterklaas then evolved into Santa Claus. And so that's where we get the name Santa Claus. It's just St. Nicholas brought into English through Dutch. Um, In the 1400s, we started having Christmas in England personified as Sir Christmas. So they had a personification of Christmas, kind of like in A Christmas Carol, you know, you have the ghost of Christmas past, for example. He's a personification of Christmas. Well, they had a similar concept back in the 1400s in England, where they would personify Christmas as a man known as Sir Christmas. And by the 1500s, after the Reformation, he became known as Father Christmas. And eventually, Father Christmas and Sinterklaas or Santa Claus sort of merged. So today in England, the Santa Claus figure is known as Father Christmas, but he basically functions a lot like Santa Claus. The name Santa Claus in English um, is attested around 1773 in the American colonies, and um, so this was just before the American Revolution, and the colony of New York had been founded, or had a lot of um, people who were from Holland, and so they brought their center-class tradition with them. In fact, New York City used to be known as New Amsterdam, and consequently, there was a heavy influence of Dutch culture, and that shaped the image of Santa Claus in the American colonies and specifically around New York. So that's where we got the uh, Santa Claus depicted as this uh, bearded, pipe smoking, jolly fellow like a Dutch sailor. Oh,
2: Yeah. So they're borrowing.
1: They're borrowing and originally had a kind of green cloak, but they're borrowing on elements of Dutch culture to depict the original version of the modern Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Then Santa Claus became kind of that became the sort of canonical image of Santa Claus around 1823, when an anonymous man, at the time, published a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is better known today as Twas the Night Before Christmas, after its first line. And uh, that poem uh, involved him having, you know, a sleigh to deliver the presents being pulled by eight tiny reindeer. And eventually, the author uh, of this poem was outed, and his name was Clement Clark Moore. But originally, he published it anonymously. But that poem then became the definitive American portrayal of Santa Claus. Um, In the 20th century, Gene Autry added Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in a novelty song. And by the way, reindeer are otherwise known as caribou. So if you want to know what a reindeer looks like, think
2: caribou. Twelve tiny caribou doesn't sound as good, though. I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, what I'm used to. Mm That is a fascinating history of Santa Claus. Yeah, that's how it all developed. Uh, Wow. And uh, so I didn't realize that the the poem was so influential, but that's 1823. So would have had Mm -hmm. the whole 19th century then to to kind of build up that tradition before the kind of the advent of the mass media age. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. Esther, thank you for asking that question. Uh, All right. That was a pretty weird question, but now we we have someone in the true spirit of weird questions for Jimmy Akin. Joe asks, might Santa be a time lord? I'll answer this
1: question. I want to relate it to another question that we have coming up. And okay. so since it's break time, why don't we take the break and then we'll okay. come back and answer those questions together.
0: We'd like to take a moment here to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Sean L., Susan R., Trevor W., Rosemarie S., and John H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part by Catechism Class a dynamic weekly podcast journey through the Catechism of the Catholic Church by Greg and Jennifer Willits. It's the best book club, coffee talk, and faith study group all rolled into one. Find it in any podcast directory.
2: Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live, doing all Christmas questions today with Jimmy Aiken, but they're weird Christmas, I cannot say weird Christmas questions. You it comes you out weird. To talk, you keep wanting to Baby talk, talk. <laughs> about cereals like, <laughs> Wait, oh yeah, Quisp and Quake. I forgot about Quisp and Quake. Uh, All right. Let me just stop then. It's weird Christmas questions with Jimmy Akin. And the next question we've already asked, but I'll repeat it again for Jimmy. Uh, Might Santa be a Time Lord? That comes from Joe. Might Santa be a Time Lord? Okay. And I wanted
1: to relate that to the next question or set of questions, which is asked by Robert. So could you read
2: those? Oh, okay. So then Robert asks this. I uh, uh, it's a multi-part question. One, would Santa need to travel faster than light speed to deliver gifts to all nice Christians on Christmas Eve? If so, could that explain the his longevity and his increase in mass over the centuries? <laughs> That's a good question. Part two of Robert's very complex uh, question. Does he used shrinking technology to fit through chimneys, teleportion technology to beam into houses or some sort of quantum phase technology to render himself and his bag of presents temporarily insubstantial to pass through walls. And part three from Robert. Could he use said technology to conquer the Martians? All right. That is okay. weird question stuff. So let's uh, unpack this. So the first question we need to figure out is
1: how many people does Santa need to deliver presents to? And although Robert mentions uh, Christians in general, it's really children that Santa is most famous for delivering presents to. And uh, there are about 2.2 billion children on Earth right now. Now, Santa Claus. Now, not all of those families celebrate Christmas. So, you know, um so, you know, like in the Muslim world, you know, they're not doing the Christmas presents thing uh in many cases. So it's not all of those 2.2 billion children are going to get presents, but uh, you know, Santa Claus is not going to restrict it to Christians because obviously he wants to evangelize. And so he'll deliver Christians to any household that's willing to celebrate Christmas. All uh-huh. right. And and thus show Christian generosity. So even if it's a non-Christian household, he'll deliver presents there. But there so we will just use two point two billion as a starting figure for how many children need to receive presents. Now, something I realized very early on um, back when I my was a child, although I didn't really believe in Santa Claus at this point, I realized that Santa Claus could maximize the amount of time that he has to deliver presents if he starts at the international dateline and flies clockwise around Earth. Because the Earth rotates counterclockwise on its axis. And if you therefore start at the international dateline and go backwards around the Earth clockwise, you will maximize the amount of time you have by traveling against the rotation of the Earth. So the Earth turns in every 24 hours. But if you're flying against that, you can effectively get 48 hours
2: to deliver Santa those presents. Would, he would clearly do that. I mean, yeah. that's all right. And 48 so hours if, you got. if you assume you've
1: got 48 hours to deliver presents and you've got 2.2 2 billion children to deliver them to, that turns into about, depending on the number of children in the household, between Santa needing to visit 4,000 and 6,000 homes every second. Yeah. Now, 4,000 and 6,000 homes every second would not require light speed um you could you could you could get there without light speed and thus you don't need superluminal travel to do all these deliveries but um you will be traveling an appreciable fraction of the speed of light and that would not explain Santa's longevity or his increase in mass over the centuries which is one of the things robert asked about the reason is that if you are traveling Relativistically, you have to get very close to the speed of light to have significant time dilation and for time to slow down significantly for you. And consequently, because it's the time that's slowing down, that's actually going to impede you from delivering those presents in a rapid manner. Because you're going to be moving slower if you're traveling a high fraction of the speed of light. Right. And so that wouldn't explain Santa's longevity because he's simply a he would be aging at a slower rate, but he also would be delivering presents at a slower rate. When it comes to mass, it's true that relativistic mass increases as you get close to the speed of light, but not physical mass. And he's depicted as having physical mass You know, he's he's got the big belly that shakes like a bowl of jelly or whatever. And that's that's not relativistic mass. That's physical mass. And it's only relativistic mass that increases if you're traveling at a high percentage of light speed. Okay. Um, also, there's a problem if he's traveling a high percentage of light speed, which is all the relativistic mass he's acquiring is going to wreak havoc on Earth. (laughs) because that having something having something with a high relativistic mass zipping around Earth is going to be having all kinds of horrendous effects. And that leads us to uh, another hypothesis, which is he's not using um, either. He's not traveling at he's got something else going on besides just the natural things that you would expect. He's got some kind of more advanced technology than merely being able to move at relativistic speeds. One thing that could be happening is he could have some kind of mass dampener. Um, And if he's got a way to decrease his mass, then that will make it easier for him to travel at high velocities. Um, And it also means he won't be wreaking havoc on the environment by traveling at high velocities. But we have these other considerations too. Like, how does he fit all of the presents? I mean, number one, how does he get into closed small spaces? Um, And I remember an account from childhood where he would shrink in order to go through like a flue pipe instead of a a house that doesn't have a full chimney. Um, But he's also got to get the presents around with him. Um, He's got to keep him in that sleigh. And how does he have enough presence for 2.2 billion children in that sleigh in his bags? Um, It would seem that the bags might be bigger on the inside than the outside. And there is a race that is known for having Ah. technology that is bigger (laughs) on the inside than the outside, and that can travel through space and time non-disruptively and get into small places with no obvious access. And that could indeed suggest that Santa Claus is a Time Lord or at least has Time Lord technology. In fact, Santa Claus appeared in a Doctor Who special a couple of years ago, played by Nick Frost, in which he did have bags that were bigger on the inside than the outside. And it was also a hybrid Santa Claus, Ridley Scott, alien face hugger <laughs> episode. Um, in terms of the final part of Robert's question, could he use this technology to conquer the time lo- to conquer the Martians? Martian. Well, as the Daleks have concluded, the TARDIS is a weapon. So um, he could use it to conquer the Martians, especially the ice warriors, but he doesn't need to, because according to the 1964 movie, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, Santa Claus conquered the Martians simply with the spirit of Christmas.
2: Ah, good old Santa. Thanks. I appreciate those uh, questions, Robert and Joe. Uh, That was uh, I, I had never thought about that Santa moving through the atmosphere at that. And so uh in the proximity of houses would basically just explode the house <laughs> if you were <laughs> so that would ruin christmas uh let's go to tony uh tony's question Jimmy I know the so-called secret meaning of the twelve days of Christmas and what they are purported to symbolize but what about the number of days themselves I was told that if you add up all the days mentioned in each verse you get uh, each verse that you get on gift. Oh, a gift for every day of the year until Christmas. Is that true? Oh, I see. So if you add it all up, then you get a, a gift a day. All right. Okay.
1: So um, there are a couple things here. The first one, we should address the so-called secret meaning of the 12 days of Christmas. Some folks will be familiar with that. Some folks won't. The idea is that the, the lyrics to the song, the 12 days of Christmas, are a kind of crypto catechism to teach the Catholic faith During the age of persecution, when English Catholics were persecuted by the Protestant authorities and couldn't openly practice their faith. So each item in the in the in in the 12 days of Christmas is supposed to correspond to something uh, connected with the Christian faith, like the partridge in the pear tree is supposed to be an image of Jesus on the cross. And 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 they go through all of the different elements and like the Ten Lords a Leaping or the Ten Commandments and things like that, so this is all nonsense. Uh, this is a this is a pious legend that has no historical basis, and it really doesn't make sense because if you couldn't, you wouldn't need this song to teach the faith. You have to know the faith first before you can relate it <laughs> to the elements of the song. So you'd have to broadcast the faith in plain text anyway to the children in your homes before any of this would make sense to them. And if they already know the faith, you don't need the song. So this really is not supported by the historical evidence. It's just a fanciful Christmas song about one person giving gifts to another. Having I may said add that,
2: mean, the, the English weren't suppressing knowledge of Jesus on the cross or the Ten Commandments either. That had nothing to, you, you could talk about mm, that openly.
1: You Those elements you could. Yeah. Uh, having said that, about the number of the gifts, well, you don't really get one per day because you get them during the 12 days of Christmas. But how many would you get if they were stretched out over the course of a year? I actually was thinking about this last year at Christmas Eve service where a priest was going through the lyrics of the song, and I started thinking about the mathematics of it. And I realized the equation I needed to run was one times 12 for the 12 partridges in a pear tree I get, followed by Two times 11 11, for the two turtle doves I get on the next 11 days, followed by three times 10 for the three French hens I get on the final 10 days and so forth. And so I ran the calculation. It turns out if you count a partridge in a pear tree as one thing, you get 364 gifts. So that's just one or two short of one gift per day for a whole year but they're bunched up in the 12 days of Christmas. I also I did a blog post on this where I talked about the mathematics of this, and I show you graphs and bar charts. And also there's what's known as the Christmas price index that calculates the uh, amount you'd have to pay to actually give these gifts. And this year it's around one hundred thousand dollars. So that's true love.
2: <laughs> Jimmy Aiken is but our guest. We're going to get you with weird Google. Christmas questions with Jimmy. Go ahead.
1: Google mathematics of the 12 days of Christmas, Jimmy Aiken, and that blog post will come up.
0: All right. Those are some great, weird questions and some great answers. So, Jimmy, what do we have for mysterious headlines this week? Uh, first, we have a link to
1: a rather brief story about NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, who is the guy in charge of NASA, talking about the Navy UFO sighting and Unlike uh, previous government officials, he's taken them seriously as something that is unknown that ought to be investigated. So uh, check out that interview with uh, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson. Also, now in the, uh, in the uh, Christmas special of Doctor Who, where they have Santa Claus, whose bag is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, they also have alien face huggers that you know, look like these creepy crustacean things. And so if you like some creepy crustacean nightmares, Uh, be sure to check out uh, an article we'll have a link to about a dog-sized aquatic scorpion that roamed the waters off ancient China. So it's like the size of a dog, and it's a scorpion. And if you went swimming, you could encounter one if you were swimming 440 million years ago. So don't need to be too scared.
0: (laughs) Good. All right. Great headlines. So folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends and write a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Send us your feedback by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page, sending us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world or calling our feedback line at 619 4515 and leaving a voicemail. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week is the New Year's holiday, so we'll be having
1: an episode of Weird Questions where we'll talk about issues like dinosaurs in heaven, Jesus's DNA, lying angels, a rebooted universe, and getting married with aliens. And then the week after that, in January, we'll be having our first new episode of the new year, which will be devoted to the question...
0: Is it always demons? Folks, remember to to help us continue the podcast. Please visit sqpn.com slash give. And Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part by Vento Law, PLLC, specializing in adult guardianships and conservatorships, probate and estate planning matters, accepting clients throughout Michigan, taking into account your individual health care, financial and religious needs visit fearventolaw.com. F-I-O-R-V-E-N-T-O-Law.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thank you, Dom, and Merry Christmas to everyone. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on StarQuest, and God bless us, everyone.
1: Howdy folks, this is Jimmy Aiken with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Here on Mysterious World, we've recently added video to the podcast, and we need to continue improving it with better cameras, lights, and editing, as well as continuing to produce our weekly look at the fascinating mysteries you enjoy. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you, and we ask you to consider increasing your support if you're able. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one. Every gift counts. Whatever level of support you can offer, Please show your support for SQPN this Christmas, and remember, your gifts may be tax-deductible. To find out more, just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.